This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. For this special podcast episode 300, we have got the gang back together. That's right, the gang from the West Coast IPA panel back in January. And we're going to call this one West Coast IPA Revisited. Evan Price of Green Cheek, Kelsey Minera North Park, Vinny Schlerza of Russian River. Welcome back to the podcast, y'all. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thank you. Good to see everyone. Good to be back. Thank you, Jamie, for uh, bringing the band back together. Of course, well, I'm, I'm sure people out there are asking, why are we following up that panel discussion? Uh, turns out that the episode struck a chord. It's on track to be our most downloaded episode in the history of the podcast. <laughs> As of this morning, almost 52,000 downloads, uh, wow. which is just an astronomical awesome. number for us. Anyway, this sparked a lot of discussion for everybody involved. We thought it'd make a lot of sense to, to you know share with you some of those conversations, some of the back uh, you know stuff. Anyway, we've been having these conversations together on, on text and whatnot since then, and then uh, just kind of made sense to get back and talk about things again. Plus, I mean, after we finished up, Vinny texted all of us the next day. He's like, you know, I had so many more questions that came to me that night as I woke up in the middle of the night. Anyway, we're going to try to get to some of those questions, uh, uh, go through that, and I figured what a better way to commemorate the 300th episode of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. 300 episodes, 6.6 plus million downloads. It's like 5,000 downloads a day of this po- crazy little podcast. That oh, we my do. God. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah. yeah. Hey, congratulations, yeah. too. Like, you, you know, Craft Beer and Brewing, the magazine and the podcast has really become a kind of a part of the fabric of the beer scene, both, I think, both for commercial and homebrewers. And, uh, you know, it's really cool what, what you and your partners and staff have done, Jamie. And, uh, you know, you guys, you guys are a print magazine for one, that's got to be pretty difficult. And then, you know, you're on the road all the time, which can't be easy, you know, family life, that sort of thing. So thanks. Thanks for all you do for the industry too. We, you're going to make I, me cry. Vinny. Man, I think I speak for, <laughs> Oh, I Kelsey no, and Evan. absolutely. hundred percent. Hand, hands down the best magazine that is able to include so many different aspects of the beer industry. I couldn't be a bigger fan. And so it, it, it truly means a lot to uh, me personally being included in this um, this panel and just being involved in your magazine because, yeah, I'm, I'm a fanboy, I guess. It's just the, yeah, the easiest way to put it. Feeling is mutual. Anyway, I, I didn't bring you on to, to talk about this. And I, I don't want to say on we that. We can. We can talk, I mean, all day about it. The, all I want to say about that is that we wouldn't be able to do what we do unless you all and other you know brewers out there that share with us share for everybody uh we are just a conduit for that and we can't we would have nothing if it weren't for all of you all uh you know who trust us and engage in these conversations and want to put those out into this broader world of brewing uh it's just a nice thing that we are able to capture edit you know structure curate these conversations with folks uh, and bring them out there for it um but we couldn't do it without all you all so hey you know kudos to everyone who's ever been on the podcast, anyone who's ever shared a, a homebrew recipe with the magazine, everyone who's shared the way that they do things and helped make the whole world of craft beer 
a better place for brewing. Anyway, thanks to all of you all. For this episode, uh, I invited folks to send in audio questions, kind of direct fire style like we've done in the past, and I've got a bunch of those. Um, I know we have our own questions, uh, and I want to kick things off with a question about an attenuation and liquor-to-grist ratio because Vinny's got some background they did on that. Before we do that, for years, G&D Chillers has chilled the beers you love partnering with 3,000-plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. They know brewing doesn't stop at 5 o'clock, and nor do they. G&D uses quality components, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. With 24-7 service and support, your brewery will never stop. Remote monitor your chiller for simple and fast access to all the information you need, providing you with peace of mind. Your operation is running smoothly. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call them to discuss your next project. This episode is also sponsored by BSG exclusive distributors of Rar Malting Company, producers of quality malt since 1847. Is your Pilsner looking flat, wishing you could show off moose-like foam stand, or looking to boost mouthfeel in a hazy? Look no further because Rar Dextrin Malt is here to improve your beer. Better body, improved haze formation, and stable foam. I mean, it's practically magic. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how. And if you're Old Orchard mentioned in the brewing community, don't be surprised. The flavored craft juice concentrate blends from Old Orchard have shipped to over 46 states. Their new brewing customers often mention discovering Old Orchard through the word of mouth recommendation of another brewer to join the core of old orchards brewing community learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer plus if you head to cbc in nashville join us and our friends at country malt group for the one-stop party at yeehaw brewing tuesday may 9th from 7 to 10 p.m it'll be a great night of music great collaboration beers great people just steps from the convention centers come on out say hey we'd love to see you there Let's get the uh, let's kick this off, Vinny. Why don't you uh, recount to us some of the work that you did following up on the podcast, talking about uh, attenuation, liquor to grist ratio, and talking to uh, some other luminaries here in the brewing world? Yeah, I think we should maybe start with Evan, uh, just giving a brief kind of synopsis that he shot me a quick email, yeah. and uh, maybe you can take it from here, and then I'll I'll take back over. Does that sound good, Evan? Yeah, I mean, it was funny because I. You know, you and me were talking about the liquor to grain ratio thing in the last podcast, the thinner mash resulting to um, a lighter body in your finished beer. Um, and I had experienced that from a practical standpoint since you and I had that conversation, I don't know, a year ago, eight months ago. I can't remember exactly how long it's been. I had a friend, though, uh, shoot me a text who, MBA brewer, uh, real way more intelligent and techie um, on that side of things than I am. And um, he was like, funny enough, Evan, you actually had it right. And so I ended up grabbing the MBAA um, practical handbook from uh, the raw materials book and looking up into that. And it absolutely is the opposite of what Vinny said. And so then I'm like even more confused because I'm like, how am I getting the like I'm getting the exact resu- opposite results than what the book says, and so I shoot Vinny a, um, a text in, about this whole thing or an email, and just kind of just speaks volumes to like Vinny as a brewer to where like I think most people would just brush this off as a like oh yeah yeah this little pip squeak is kind of <laughs> saying this thing and you know whatever I'm right you're wrong and like that's that but instead Vinny is such a scholar. Uh, within brewing to where he wants to find the the answer uh, as clearly as possible. And so 
um, he starts getting some people involved. And so I think, Vinny, you could take it from here because yeah. I would love yeah. to hear that you're part of this whole story. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that was, that was definitely that, um, you know, we, aside from all of our experience at Russian river, which is that a thinner mash, uh, a slightly thinner mash will give us a, a slightly drier beer. Um, and a thicker mash will give us a little more residual sugar. Um, which I'll explain why we're doing that as it relates to hop creep. Um, and, but yeah, I, I, I instantly went like, well, gosh, maybe I do have it wrong. You know, maybe, it, my, maybe I am off. Um, but I was trying to remember where I got it from and I remembered it was in John Palmer's book, how to brew. And, um, and he talks about it and I have it right here. Cause I, I knew this was going to come up, the, but he basically says uh, a thinner mash of more than two quarts of water per pound of grain um, dilutes uh, concentration. And then he goes on to say that basically you end up with a, a more fermentable beer, thus a more drier beer. So I emailed John and, um, and, and asked him, you know, where he got that from. And it ended up coming from Evan Evans, who last year released the mashing book, which if um, anyone listening doesn't have it, it's a fantastic um, just you know, masterclass on, on mashing and, and anything related to that. So it's that dense, that it's, it's, it's super dense. It is. It is. Yeah. I think it can be very technical. So that was, so, so I, I definitely, you know, found some, some, uh, information that, uh, goes along with what we've seen at Russian river. Um, but as I started digging into this, um, what I think I've really come to learn is that the science is not settled on this for sure, because, uh, there are, you know, there's the MBA book that Evan referenced. Um, then there's, uh, I, I found the Dr. Lewis, um, Michael Lewis book back, you know, when he was at Davis where he talked about, um, he agreed with what the MBA book said. Um, I even reached out to Carl Lockhart who edited the, um, the, the raw materials book and, um, and, and, you know, he says, no, you know, all the research I've done points towards what we wrote was, was correct. Um, of course I, I spoke with, with Garrison, our, our head brewer and, um, you know, what, what we've seen at Russian river, we've, we've worked it on both sides, um, with STS pills. We didn't want to extend the mash rest. Because you you know, given any mash, let it sit long enough, and you can probably get some the conversion you want as long as your temperatures are okay and you're not denaturing the DP. Um, and and so we took uh, STS from 0.35 uh, gallons per pound of grain to 0.37 to make it a drier beer. And then on the flip side to that is you know when we start getting up into these high dry hop loads, you know, let's just say above three or even four pounds per barrel on some, some special beers. Uh, we're just, we're just getting too dry of beer because those enzymes in that much hop load was drying the beer out too much. And, and I don't know about the other guys. Um, but when we use dextrin malt to, uh, try to gain body back, it just seems like it exacerbates hop creep and the enzymes and the hops just keep yep. going. I don't know why scientifically that is. Um, oddly too, um, if you use too much dextrin malt, there's this kind of grainy mouthfeel that you get. And, um, 
Totally. I never realized it until years ago, Brian Hunt from Moonlight Brewery, great local Sonoma County brewery. We, we would hang out a lot drinking beer and he would always taste that in a couple of our beers. He goes, use, you know, dextrin malt in this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. He goes, yeah, I can just taste it. And, and it took me a long time to figure out what that was. But, um, but I, I do know that for whatever reason, dextrin malt makes just, it's, it's just, it's perfect, uh, feeder for, uh, the enzymes. And so in some cases we've hit the top limit of temperature for an IPA that we're doing, let's say four pounds per barrel. And so we needed to pull some other lever and that's where we go the opposite direction with liquor to grist ratio. Um, I did, I did also reach out to, uh, the great Joe Hertrick, who is, you know, well-known, um, for working at three of, you know, breweries in America, um, throughout his career. Um, he's, he's just a textbook on anything malt related. And, um, and I, he's someone I go to, uh, a lot of times for technical stuff like this. And he wrote me a really thoughtful email and, uh, he's such a good teacher. Um, and, and he always explains things well, but he basically just said the basic teaching when I was coming up was thinner mashes slightly favor diastatic action and thicker mashes slightly fla- favor more proteolytic action. And he goes on, blah, blah, blah. He also goes on to say, and this is the part that I really like and kind of how I've always explained it was my intuition is that this is all about accessibility of the substrate, just like grinding finer increases accessibility to the substrate, thinner mashes increase the accessibility of the substrate and more with more accessibility, meaning free movement of the enzymes to extract for increase of fermentability. And then he gave gave a really cool um, example of this. He goes, in practice in the 1990s, when trying to mash high attenuation malt liquor and high attenuation non-enzyme light beers, I found that moving the mash from 1.1 barrels of water per thousand pounds of grain to 1.3 barrels of water per thousand pounds of grain, that the thinner mash slightly increased the RDF. So uh, I'll just, I'll just finish it with saying that Super cool. that I, I think the science maybe is a little, uh, has, hasn't quite, isn't quite completed yet. Um, but a really interesting conversation and topic and i just know what works for us at at russian river how we thicken it and thin it just to make some really minor moves one way or the other yeah thanks for sharing that and if if anyone out there listening has uh you know more studies that they've owned they've done themselves on this kind of thing and some data to share with us i mean i know all of us would would love to pursue that um since we're since we're talking about malt right now we can kick it off with our, our first audio question um from somebody that you all know Hey fellas, Ben here. Thanks for sharing so much great info in that first podcast. I have a ton of questions that I'd love to ask you all, but there's one thing for each of you that I especially wanted to follow up about from the first pod. The first set of questions is for Vinny and has to do with fan and shelf stability in IPAs. Vinny, what metrics are you using for fan in your beers? Do you shoot for a percentage of work fan in the finished beer or is it an absolute value? Also, how do you think excess fan actually changes hop flavor and aroma? And where does fan increase from dry hop additions play into all of this for you? Anything else, Ben? Anything? <laughs> you gotta, is, that all, is that all? Yeah. Is that all of it? Yeah. Let me ask you one question with six questions in it. 
<laughs> well, and before, there, before he I... has two more questions that come <laughs> after this that we'll get to later on for the, for the other two of you. Oh my Don't God. worry. Don't and, worry. And before I go into his, uh, his question, um, a huge congratulations to Ben Edmonds. He, uh, was yes. just awarded the 2023 Russell Share yeah. award for brewing innovation from the Brewers Association. Natalie and I were just up in Portland a couple of days ago, so we got to share a beer with him uh, and, and some actual other past Russell Share winners, and got to celebrate and raise a pint with him. So, congrats, Ben! You uh, very well deserved. So that's my friend Ben. Um, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna get to brew with Ben at the Brewers Retreat in yep. a couple weeks here. Yeah, yeah. Super so excited jealous. about that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're so you know, speaking about fan. Um, you know, definitely as we all know that it really has one job and it's there for yeast nutrient uh, coming from the malt. Um, but uh, there's been some recent research that you do get an increase in fan uh, from uh, dry hopping. And um, and my I, I've I've kind of theorized that I wonder if um, you that the let's say with hop creep is the ends are the enzymes using some of the fan to make the fermentation happy happen and that actually something goes back to that joe hertrick talked about on a on an mba podcast uh years yep. ago where he mentions that like too much excess fan can uh help bacteria grow so that actually got me thinking well could that also aid in the secondary fermentation once the enzymes break down the sugar is the yeast actually using the uh, excess fan to help in a fermentation? I, I have no idea what the answer is. It's just something that that's been on my mind, and and why I and I believe I mentioned this in the first podcast that I think using rice or whatever you you use as the adjunct for cold IPA might actually make cold IPA have a better shelf, shelf stability. Life. And yeah. we've we've used rice in a few beers IPAs and. We're just in the early stages of measuring fan. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head what our absolute fan number is, but we are looking at the end number at, at the end of the beer. I don't, we don't know necessarily what to compare it to other than, you know, we know that, um, that fan isn't good for, for beer in general. It's what drives strecker degradation and oxidation in, in beer. And we all know that in general, IPAs, for the most part, just have a, a poor shelf life compared to other styles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we as an industry have, have put a style on our shoulders that we've grown on. It's probably the worst style we could ever build right. an industry on. Have poor shelf stability. Like, yep. couldn't it have been Pilsner? You know, I drink SGS <laughs> at six months or, or a Evo at six months. It was like, oh, it's just getting into its prime. <laughs> um, you know, so Matt, Matt, there's, there's always, still time. There's yeah, still time. Yeah, Matt and I <laughs> always joke in our next life we would just want to come back as lager brewers only. So, so, anyways, to to answer his question, we are looking at a, at just an, an end number, but I don't know that we have anything to compare it to. We're trying to build our own database, um, if you will, and and we don't always have time to measure fans. So, um, you know, but it's just an ongoing project for us. I was talking to Kevin Davey last month, and uh, he mentioned you mentioning uh, cold IPA on the, on that last episode, and was very appreciative of you supporting his strategy uh, yeah. around this. So a lot of 
a lot of uh, yeah. love there. Um, let's talk a little bit more about this, and let's start talking about hops, because uh, if we let this go the way the last one did, we might just <laughs> talk for uh, an hour plus about other things and not get to the subject of hops that, want, that people want to talk about. Um, before we do that, AccuBrew announces the addition of specific gravity to their suite of brewing tools. AccuBrew predicts specific gravity during fermentation to help ensure consistent results and detect problems early. AccuBrew is dedicated to providing brewers with the tools to create the perfect brew. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, their suite of brewing tools will help you achieve your goals. Monitor the fermentation process with their intuitive mobile app, adjust your recipe as needed, and achieve the perfect brew every time. Join the AccuBrew community today and meet the developers in Nashville at CBC to learn more. Also, ProBrew has always been a dedicated and trusted partner to breweries, especially when they make the leap to canning their product. That's why they only sell rotary can fillers, which significantly reduced product waste and produce higher quality product than an inline can filler. Need proof? Visit ProBrew at booth 433, as well as at their party at Yazoo Brewing at this year's CBC in Nashville. To RSVP to their event or schedule time with them at the show, visit them at probrew.com slash CBC or email contact us at probrew.com. ProBrew, brew your beer. And Indie Hops breeds new hop varieties to help brewers captivate beer lovers. Indie's unique varieties, Strata, Lorian, Luminosa, and Meridian, are trusted by brewers worldwide to modernize, brighten, and diversify their beer lineup. Indie also offers classics that thrive in Oregon terroirs, such as Chinook, Crystal, and Sterling. Thoughtfully crafted and selected hops to meet your brewing needs, visit IndieHops.com podcast and stop by their booth number 2131 at CBC to discover what's new in hop flavors. Indie Hops, life is short. Let's make it flavorful. Um, let's kick into another question here. And this one's uh, from Phil from Burt Gilman Brewing. Uh, 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 back in 2020, he was uh, simultaneously Alpha King and a GABF gold medal winner. Here's, here's Phil's question hey. for you all. Hi, Jamie. Hi, guys. First off, I'd like to thank you guys for your contributions to the industry. So... In terms of recipe design, I find the more people I try to please, the fewer people I impress and vice versa. <laughs> Yet, you guys all make very impressive beers. How do you strike that balance? How do you make crowd, crowd pleasures that continue to impress year after year? What key things do you think makes your beer the way you make it? Thank you. We should kick that one off with Kelsey. Why don't you take this one, Kelsey? Um, well, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's just kind of the endless quest for uh, making our beers, uh, you know, relevant in the moment, you know, um, and we've all talked about this, but, you know, uh, recipe evolution is something that, you know, we're always doing. And anytime there's, you know, some new process that can keep, you know, our flagship beers, uh, relevant with, uh, you know, anything that's, that's new and current is, is the goal. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this on one of the prior pod podcasts, but it's, for me, it's not about making a consistent beer. It's about consistently making the beer better. Um, and you know, and I think they, that that's, that's, that's the approach, you know, um, whether it's a technique process, you know, getting more involved in hop selection, um, you know, working on the grain bill and, and tinkering it over time into the place that it is today. Is it going to be the way that it is today in a year, uh, two years? I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, because we're we're going to continue to try new things and try new hot products and and uh, keep keep moving our uh, our standards into a place that hopefully keeps people really excited about them. You know, how do you balance though that idea that uh, you know because you have your own personal taste and you're going to brew 
you know, a, a significant amount to that. And you're also going to watch how cons- you know customers respond to these things. And you're going to watch how you know judges, which are you know peer generally peer professional brewers, are also responding to these things. And so, in, in a way, you almost have three different audiences, uh, you know, that you're you know speaking to, and you're dealing with inputs that are coming from a lot of places too. How does that impact the way that you like start actually? making changes i mean it's easy enough to taste someone else's beer and say i want to make something like that it's harder to like rub a new hop and say oh i you know i can go do all this mental math to figure out what this might ultimately you know taste and smell like in a beer and what's it going to take all this to build a recipe around that like how does that you know how do these changes happen for you in that way i mean these things never settle into the core you know um right away you know it's we're not necessarily making those experiments with hop foo um, but we will make, you know, a lot of different new beers all the time. And, you know, that's, that's a huge part of our program. I mean, we have two beers that we brew, you know, consistently, and then everything else is either something new, one-off, you know, something that people really love that we want to bring it back. Um, and that constant ability to experiment you know we don't do a lot of distro um outside of our own distribution um you know we are self-distributed so that is a bit of a luxury for us to be able to you know make new things all of the time and when a new process works really well you know in one of these one-offs or a collab or something um or you know i get really inspired tasting you know someone else's beer Maybe I go up to Green Cheek and, you know, I drink Evan's stuff and then I ask him how he, you know, what he did there. And, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll experiment in something new and if it works really well, then it, it, it makes its way back to the, the base, you know, and it's kind of, it, it pumps up the base and keeps it relevant and keeps it exciting. Um, and I mean, really that's the process, but nine You're times- using these kind of smaller brands as like a farm league, you know, and, it, uh, you know, if they- some totally. of these techniques and things, uh, you know, rise above and you know start to shine. Then they can they can uh, you know make it up into the AAA and then the then the big league. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> we we use our R and D research and development brand, so we've developed a, a whole brand just around this. And um, so sometimes those beers uh, are only on our little five barrel pilot brewery, and sometimes those brands make it all the way up, and we brand R&D under an actual recipe on the big brew house, but it's, it's given us the ability that every time we make R&D, whatever, uh, you know, today's it'll be IPA that we're talking about that it's different every time, but we're, we're, we're testing new processes. Um, you know, I've ever since hearing Kelsey on the show, the first time where we talked about using the, uh, flowable pop uh, products and how he adds them in well that that wouldn't work at our scale so i've been working on a way to um do it in such a way that it'll work at russian river so i've been testing it on the pilot brewery and then that's now going to move up to a pub batch in a uh about a month and maybe and i have something in mind in 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 windsor on the big brew house next year for a new beer that'll come out to use it but it just wouldn't work for us the way that Kelsey does it. And, um, but yet, um, you know, the results are definitely there. So, you know, to, to go back to the original question, you know, you could just create a brand around it too, as a professional brewer. 
Bithead. How do you balance this, uh, you know, mi- approach to winning medals, which you all do, um, you know, with consumer love for those beers? How, uh, you know, sometimes those things align. Um, you know, sometimes they don't necessarily align, not just in IPA, you know, I mean, uh, you can certainly look at it in the hazy IPA side where when you see how, you know, which beers are winning medals in those categories, you can tell that it's a group of professional brewers that are judging those, not necessarily a consumer audience. Um, you know, how do you, how do you manage through that, Evan? Yeah, I end up taking the approach, which is a lot of our beers take this approach where we are kind of seeing what the audience sort of feels like with uh, certain beers or hazy beers as an example. We really want to see what that audience thinks and feels about those beers. We're looking at those untapped ratings and we're kind of manipulating uh, the recipe and in order to sort of get the results that we want, which is people happy, right? Um, for our West Coast beers, it happens to be just a thing that I personally am in love with. And it is a, I'm not trying to do anything other than what I personally want to do with that specific beer style. And so that I think is one of the reasons why I, maybe I've held on so tightly to it as well is that it's something that I am like dearly in love with. It's something that I drink uh, if I'm sitting down to have a beer. And so it has been uh, incredibly rewarding to have this thing that is exactly the way that I want to make it hit on a, you know, hit a few times for, for medals and stuff like that. And so I think that that is, uh, yeah, pretty fun instead of this other approach so many different times where you're making a Hellas or you're making some of these other beer styles and then you go taste somebody else's and you're like, Oh, that's the thing I'm missing. And instead when I'm drinking my West coast IPA, like I think it's one of the best beers in the world. And I don't mean that as a, you know, ego crazy man, but I mean it more just that the coolest part about this job is making it exactly the way that you want to make it. Um, let's kick in another question here on the, on the brewing side. Uh, and this one, uh, this one's for Kelsey. Second question is for Kelsey. Kelsey, you mentioned that you were using Chico with ALDC as your house yeast. How has using this yeast and knowing that you don't have to worry about diastole from hop creep altered how and when you dry hop and sell your West coast IPAs? Huh. Um, well, we've kind of taken a, you know, more um, pragmatic approach to our dry hopping and whether we're making a, you know, a, uh, a West Coast or a Hazy, they, they pretty much follow the same um, steps. You know, we, um, and before we were using Chica with ALDC, you know, built into it and we were just adding ALDC and using, you know, other Chico yeast. Um, we didn't really modulate the dry hop procedure, but we always anticipated some hop creep. And even if you don't have, um, you know, diacetyl to be concerned about with ALDC in the yeast, uh, you still can have some attenuation, um, challenges. And so we've, you know, our steps to kind of combat, um, you know, the attenuation issues, uh, for a long time, and I remember, I, I, I don't have the source in front of me, but I remember, uh, you know, I was talking to Julian uh, at Beechwood, um, and uh, he had mentioned, you know, that using some simple sugar in the kettle 
um, and kind of preparing the yeast for a uh, very simple sugar component of your uh, fermentables uh, would result in less hop creep um, because you've got that simple sugar in there at the start. Um, and beers that had uh, dextrose added um, versus those that didn't seem to uh, have less of a, you know, a perpetual attenuation issue. Um, and so I thought that that was interesting. Uh, and I did look it up and I found some white paper that had some of that information. So pretty much anything that we do that gets dry hop does get a small charge of dextrose um, in the kettle. Uh, and then also uh, we dry hop pretty much every beer with a very small amount of hops when we're about one Play-Doh prior to terminal gravity. Uh, and that's when we're at a stage where we can go ahead and pull the yeast out. Um, and so we'll harvest and then, you know, we'll hit it with, uh, typically it's cryo hops, um, but it'll be, you know, a pretty small charge, you know, like 11 pounds and 15. Uh, and again, I feel like we're getting the kind of enzyme in there, um, you know, through those hops at a place where the fermentation is winding up you know, or winding down, I should say. Um, and, you know, just as a strategy, uh, then we're getting to, you know, the end of fermentation. And, and when we add our large hop charge, uh, you know, when we're fully attenuated, or at least where we expect to be, um, at that point, we're not really seeing a whole lot more movement. Um, and, you know, if we're at, you know, two, you know, we're, we're going in uh, at one Plato, you know, prior to terminal with that first charge, and we're trained for a, you know, West Coast 2.5 uh, finish, um, we usually get pretty darn close to it. And, it, and we don't see, you know, continued attenuation at that point. Um, so as a strategy, it's, it's been working very well uh, and, and it's kept our tank times, you know, uh, very tight, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see, you know, um, what you guys think about that approach. Nick I had a question for you, Kelsey. Sorry, Evan, real quick. That was from our last uh, uh, podcast. Do you know off the top of your head what your percentage is between like your first hop edition that you said was maybe 11 pounds to to the second uh, um, bigger yeah, edition? I mean, I can, it's, uh, and I'd be curious, it, Evan, do you do the same thing? No, I, I mean, I, so I don't, well, he's looking into that. I mean, I don't do the same thing, but I think, um, one of the things that I jumped out to me was, uh, cryo hops having less vegetative matter, like, mm -hmm. uh, from my understanding, don't create as much hop creep. Vinny, you'd know better than I would. Yeah. That's been our, our research and, um, with, with a beer that that's all Simcoe or mostly all Simcoe. Um, and that was actually another question for Kelsey was, you know, if you're trying to get the hop creep started, um, have you ever tried it with just T90s or with, does that just make it go off the, off the rails? Um, we have, and I'd, I'd have to go back and look at some, some recipe sheets and just kind of see if, if that caused more issues. Yeah. Um, but to answer the question you had, uh, it's about 14% of the total. Yeah. It's small. Hop charge. Yeah. So it's very small. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, um, sorry, was there 
Was there more I needed to? No, I think you did. No, it, dude. Okay. You did no it. But, but Evan, I, I interrupted you. So, yeah, what was what, your? What, uh... Oh, uh, uh, sorry, Vinny. The question was how do how do we treat the dry hop? Oh yeah, but I think you were going to ask Kelsey something. I interrupted you. So. But, oh no! It was actually uh, the thing yeah. that I mentioned to you is more just the yeah. the cryo aspect yeah. of that. You right. Know, yeah. Where I, I mean, you know, and this is a, this is a question that I uh, have been wanting to ask anyway. And this moment couldn't be more perfect. But it's like um, I know that us we as a brewery end end up having a hard time depending on on hop creep. There are times where it's it's there, and there's there's times that it's not. Now. The thing that I want to happen is I want, I want some hop creep. I like, I personally like those beers the most where we get a little bit of a secondary fermentation from that, um, uh, from that dry hop. And I think those beers end up, uh, tasting the best and smelling the best. And so the problem is, is that there's times where, and we're scratching our heads like crazy, trying to look at lots and we're looking at as much information as we as we can without a lab. I have a microscope and that's all I got in my lab. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to understand. I think Vinny, you're the hop creep king at the, uh, you know, at the moment where I think you've done the most presentations and uh, on the subject. And so how I guess, can I depend on hop creep? Is yeah. The so, so, you know, talking about hop creep, the last time we talked, I, I talked about, you know, making acid additions to at least keep the diacetyl in check. Yep. Um, one, one thing that I, uh, I don't think I talked about and something we implemented was we moved our, uh, zinc additions from the whirlpool to the cold side. Yes. And, um, and I, I just did a, since the, uh, last West coast IPA panel we did, uh, Tom Nielsen from Sierra Nevada uh, and I did a big hop creep uh, presentation at the uh, California Craft Beer Summit, and I talked about this. And Chris White was in the front row applauding, uh, you know, moving zinc to the cold side, and and it basically lowered our zinc addition, but it made it more consistent. And it, it took a lot of work to trial it out to figure out what it was. But the idea is that. Um, you know, it's not getting bound up in the troop and, you know, maybe one beer you're at half a pound per barrel in the whirlpool and maybe it's a pound on the next one. And, and maybe you can still calculate it out, but it just became a lot more defined. And in, in the result of that was we ended up with a, uh, much more consistent fermentation. So we had cleaner fermentation for one, but also the hop creep got a lot more consistent once we got our yeast health in order. And this, the, the zinc just happened to be one of the things. So we, we are at 0.08 grams per barrel of wort on the cold side, roughly. And, um, and that's, that's less than we were on the hot side. And those zinc numbers seem to be a lot more consistent. Um, one of, one of the other things that, um, that we, uh, presented and it's the, we've had this, uh, kind of under our belt at Russian river for a couple of years now in, uh, one of my slides from the presentation is, uh, so you've got the, the bracts that are the, you know, leaves on the, the hops, if you will. But we decided after we did all this seed, uh, hop seed yep. study where we were dry hopping with seeds, basically crushed seeds. Uh, what happens if you dry hop with the strig and the strig being the, the stem of the hop? 
and you will get hop creep from the strig too. So the enzymes mm. are actually living <clears throat> in the strig as well. And um, so in a uh, in an Amarillo that we have, this is some 2020 work we did that had almost at 2.9% seeds. Um, the uh, the strig only dry hop, so we call it dry strigging uh, at Russian River. <laughs> um, <laughs> it it dropped the uh, the the gravity by only. Uh, 0.09, which uh, so not a huge amount, um, but when we took Simcos that from that same vintage, and those those Amarillos were from Oregon, the Simcos were from Washington, that only had 0.1% seeds, so virtually no seeds. The gravity on the Strig only dropped 0.58, so it's not there isn't a correlation to to any of this, which kind of feeds back to your original question of how do we predict this. And, yeah. and, and Tom, Tom Nielsen did present, uh, a test that they use at Sierra Nevada that he's also using, um, on some of the hop quality group, experimental hops, uh, as well, um, to try to predict some hop creep. But I, I still think that's one of the million dollar questions is how do you predict it? Because we too sometimes see batches that over attenuate and others that under attenuate based on hop creep and that's exactly yep. what you're saying so but but this this thing with the strig just is another um big question mark that's over my head right now like a cartoon you know sure <laughs> yeah i i think just trying to continue to figure out how to predict you know those results is such a frustrating part as an ipa yeah. uh hoppy brewer you have this you have this time window while the while it, I mean, we dry hop warm um, around 68, 66 degrees. And we, with this time window of the moment we're adding hops, we are hoping to be in a good spot within anywhere from 48 hours to whatever four days is uh, in hours, uh, 96. Uh, and, you know, and... And it depends on the beer, depends on the hops and everything else. And I just hate these moments where we are just, the aromatics of the beer are changing as we are waiting for that to creep into the right spot sometimes. And it's maddening because there's a sweet spot where that hop aroma is as good as it's going to get. And then it's going to start to fall from there where all that fruit that you've developed that is so front and center then starts to kind of drop off and this vegetal thing starts to creep up that uh, I can't stand. And that is this, yeah, I guess that's like, you know, the sort of thing that I'm still with the same question mark over my head trying to figure out is how to depend on, on what that is. And yeah. Anyway, well, and I think you've, you've got, I mean, some of that ties into, you know, dumping the cone, which we talked about last time. And I think we Absolutely. all have somewhere in the same range, but not exact. Um, but, but I'll go back to, to yeast health, um, is something that has really helped us, but we also, uh, got to, we also see that if, uh, we don't let the beer sit long enough, we'll have too much sulfur. Uh, we have a lot of aldehydes in, in the beer. And yep. that's just stuff that we don't want. And so we found that we need to let blind pig, uh, I believe it's, it's at minimum of five days and Pliny is six or seven days, whatever it is, um, to just let some of the flavors develop as well. But all the while we, we've dumped the cone 
Yep. We're going to talk more about that in a second, especially when it comes to dumping the cone, because I've got a few questions from folks on that. Before we do that, no matter what you are canning, Twin Monkeys Beverage Systems has the solution. I just opened up a can of uh, Kelsey's beer and it's sprayed all over my face. Uh, the things that no one gets to see when you're listening to this on audio. Oh, we saw it. Um, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we saw it. So good. Anyway, with a versatile lineup of quality canning and packaging equipment made in the USA, their troop... That's Twin Monkeys Troop is ready to customize a setup for your craft business. Need on-site training or help with your installation? You got it. Visit TwinMonkeys.net today to learn just how easy it is to get your craft into cans. Also, Brett is wild. It's unpredictable. Gives funky notes to beer and evolves in time. Historically, it's been used with little control, but Fermentis has harnessed it. Discover Soft Brew BR8, the first dry Brett by Fermentis, now available in 105-gram packages. Sorry, that's 100-gram and 5-gram packages. Are you coming to CBC in Nashville Monday, May 8th, 2 to 4.30 p.m. during CBC hours? Fermentis has teamed up with the Brussels Beer Challenge to congratulate all American winners of last year's BBC. After the ceremony, stay for a casual soft brew BR8 barnyard bash. Try some beers brewed with soft brew BR8. Mingle with their experts. Ask them all your questions. See you there. And ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for ten over 10 years. They are proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. Going to the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville, stop by their booth to connect with their brewery consultants and enter for a chance to win a keg Viking keg washer. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to dry my pat dry myself off here. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to uh, give you two questions. These are two in a row. They're both about the same thing. And so uh, I figured I would uh, give you both of these. And Evan, uh, I think these are directed at you. Oh, no. Hi, this is Mark Sebring from Mineral Springs Brewery in Minnesota. In the last panel discussion, you talked about dumping the cone the first day after knockout. Can you talk more about the benefits and the off flavors that you avoid? Great podcast. Thanks, Jamie. Last question for my homie Evan. <laughs> you mentioned early fermentation cone dumps as a way to avoid mercaptans. Can you go into a little more detail about when you're shaving your cones and how you think that's improved or changed the overall hop expression in your IPAs? Cheers, guys. Thanks. Yeah, so do you want me to start, by the way? Do you have anything else? I, I think Ben wants you to answer that one. Okay, you just talk a lot, so i just making sure that you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you were waiting with that one. I can tell. You had that one just teed up for the right time. Oh, uh, but I des But I deserve that. Thank you, Evan. Hey, you know, uh, whatever I can do. So when it comes to shaving the cone, dumping the cone, at our brewery, we don't like to say the word dump. Uh, you know, we reserve that only for the time that we're actually dumping a batch. And so... I think uh, my friend Jesse, I ended up getting this term shave from, and so that's what we use. But long story short, when it comes to our kettle, our kettle and, and our orange location, actually at both locations, isn't necessarily the widest uh, cone. Or sorry, our kettle. I, was, I, I think I was saying our kettle is not the widest kettle at both of our locations. And so when it comes to adding Whirlpool hops... I feel like we are prone to potentially pull more more hops from the kettle into our fermenter than maybe other breweries are set up for. I go into the 
I go into some of these breweries that have these wonderful whirlpool whirlpools set up that are just really wide and they have they take up a lot of space and I would really love to have that. But we have a yeah, we have a kind of a taller, skinnier kettle. And so anyway, we end up we were in a spot of continuing to kind of get this Mercaptain character in our IPAs and I couldn't quite figure it out. And I feel like this is probably another conversation with Vinny that helped me get to this spot because uh we had talked about Mercaptain at some point. And anyway, we've gotten to this spot where we do uh we will brew a beer and the very next the very next morning we are coming in and first thing in the morning we are getting rid of anything that's uh out of the bottom of the cone and hopefully that beer hasn't just fully exploded into fermentation it's just like you know it's kind of gradually coming up so that we pitched correctly for something like that and so that ends up uh helping and then we'll end up shaving the bottom of the cone again at the end of the day and yeah we were in a when we were in a spot of getting these mercaptan characters we were just trying anything and everything and i think that that ended up being an absolute game changer for if you're getting kind of a fresh cut white onion character in your beer that um yeah is absolutely polarizing it's not it's not your dry hop it's it's uh you know it's something that is coming from that uh that troop getting carried over to your to your tank did i answer all the questions i don't know did i like you tell me i feel like i, I, I you know are there are there any other off flavors beyond the mercaptan that uh, you find or are there any other benefits that have uh, come from shaving well, the cone hey, and i love you, i love that term shaving the cone that sounds so much more like refined and elegant yeah and that's, uh, that's you know. what we do at green cheek we refine and elegant everything uh, <laughs> it's the art the art of shaving right <laughs> no i uh you know one other funny thing to throw out there that is embarrassing to say but this is like a podcast of learning and so i think it's a a great time for this is that like i we went a long time without cleaning our mash tun and uh we were just hot rinsing it we have little spray balls under underneath and you know i felt like that was sufficient the whole thing's hot. It's getting hot. Boom. Long story short, when we started actively cleaning our mash tun once a week using a proper CIP and pulling up the pat, pulling up the plates and everything, and making sure that it everything looks good, this other Mercaptan-like character that I couldn't diagnose that was just off-putting in the beer, and I I, I wish I had a better sort of it was a like a weird funk that I couldn't quite like pinpoint. And once we started doing that, we got uh, we also got some just cleaner hop character in the beer. But yeah, I think I mean the, the main things that I I feel like battle as an IPA producer. Um, the Mercaptain thing is 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 challenging because the brewer really needs to be watching that end of knockout. Um, as we're setting that wort into the fermenter, if you're not cutting off in our kettle, if you're not cutting off that uh, that transfer at the right moment, you're going to pull too much of this true pile into the tank, and it will it will absolutely, in my opinion, ruin the ruin the beer. And at that point, you gotta 
you got to blend or you got to dump. And so that's one, I think that's, that's one thing that is, um, good to just keep in mind. I but, think, okay, I think, sorry. I think another thing here too, is that, um, that Mercaptan flavor can be, um, can come from yeast autolysis. So, you know, yes. if you aren't, if you aren't pitching the highest quality yeast, which, um, up until, you know, recently when at our new brewery, where we just had much better yeast health, like we were pitching, um, lower viability yeast because that's all we had. And, and I think a lot of small breweries out there are in the same boat. Um, and so dumping the cone, you know, the next morning, first thing when you get in, so we, we do the same thing, um, just gets those dead yeast cells out of the bottom of the tank. Cause they do generally settle, uh, to the, to the bottom of the tank, maybe not all of them, because we do sure. see some of that at the top of an open top fermenter that we can skim. But, um, but that, I think that's, I think it's a good practice for any beer, just, to, just in case you don't have the absolute best yeast health yeast health they can get it out of the bottom of the tank or at least most of it yeah yeah um and then jamie to finish your uh, question now that i've you asking about off flavors i think like that's one big off flavor that we're trying to avoid uh diacetyl is obviously you know a big off flavor that we're all uh very conscious of and we are all working to avoid and i think we with the help of aldc or whatever you're doing in your brewery i think you can achieve that um being aware of acetaldehyde, if you are trying to do really quick dry hop times, I know that for us, like one of the best things that we can do when it comes to New Zealand hops specifically is a 48 hour contact time where we are getting the brightest, freshest, like Kiwi vibes on our IPAs by going through, we go through fermentation, we harvest our, we harvest our yeast. We have the, the beer warm and then we are, we're dry hopping this beer and 48 hours later we are crashing the beer and we need to be very aware of acetaldehyde in these moments and every once in a while we, we don't quite hit that window and, you know, the beer suffers a little bit for on one, one end where that bright fruit changes a little bit, uh, but then we, you know, Beer's a constant... so, so you're saying longer contact time will start to develop more acetaldehyde? Oh, sorry, no, the, it's, the, it's the opposite. So oh, okay. the acetaldehyde you need is, to okay. The acetaldehyde is going to clean up. The yeast is going to clean up that acetaldehyde uh, with time. But like, you just need to be aware of that as a brewer of you know kind of nosing or smelling that. And you know some some of you out there, of course, have a lab that can um, test for these things, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, we, on the other hand, just use the best tool in the brewery, which is our noses. And, you know, I think that this beer is just this constant trade-off of, all right, well, I'm not going to have this really raw some bright fruit, but then I'm not going to have acetaldehyde. So, I, you know, I guess that's kind of where we end up. And then the last thing I think we're, you know, trying to avoid as IPA producers is just uh, that fermentation sulfur, um, that sulfur dioxide. I think when sulfur dioxide is mixed with um, these new school hops, you end up getting a, a you know a dank character that you think potentially is the hop that you used, and instead it's just you not being completely aware of the the overall fermentation of your beer. And so I think that that is an important part where I've definitely 
had beers where we have roused them up until that sulfur dissipates and then that that you know that bright fruit will will show itself again that's what i was saying earlier jamie about like having like blind pig and pliny are two main ipas having like minimum uh warm days let's just call it um after the dry hop because when we would uh you know drop the temperature of the tank too early we were getting this acid aldehyde kind of pumpkin gourd that you know is what everyone described it as and um you know we had this this vision this that we called quick crash dry hop that i maybe talked about before and uh, where we were trying to basically you know get the hops in and out before hop creep would even start but we ended up with acetaldehyde and sulfur everything evan just talked about so now we've just created these these minimum amount of times that the beer needs to sit um but we've, we're dumping the cone and with good yeast health we're not seeing the diacetyl spike even though the beer is just sitting clearing up some of these flavors because there is good yeast health that, that we've had you know a few years ago we would see the vdk grow through the roof as we waited but that doesn't happen anymore thankfully well, it kind of goes to, I know, because every brewer is concerned about that excessive contact time driving more vegetal character, you know, you know, and so again, like you say, Evan, this is just a balance, like you're going to lose one thing, you're going to gain another. And there are some things that are just going to be hard and fast where you just don't want this at all. And so we're going to give up whatever it takes to get there. Um, hey, can, I, can I say yeah. one more thing? Um, sorry to interrupt you is that, you know, one thing you have to think about too is, is the polish on the cone of your tank. Let's face it, most breweries don't have as highly polished uh, cones that, say, a, a Zeman tank would have, where they literally <laughs> polish the entire cone of, of the tank. It's the most amazing thing to see. And, and I remember going to the Zeman facility and was with our friend Floris DeLee, who you, you know, Jamie, who lives in Fort Collins there uh, and has been on the show. You know, he's like, this is what makes a Zeman tank a Zeman tank, and they're polishing the entire cone. And so, you know, we, we see on our pilot brewery that we need to dump the cone a lot more because all the hops aren't just sliding down immediately yep. like they do on our big fermenters. And, um, and so I, I think being a small brewery, you have the ability to more easily dump the cone every day and trying to get the hops out because not, it's not just all going to happen at 24, 48 hours, whatever your, your, your cone shaving time is. Yeah. I mean, the, you hit the nail on the head, though. I mean, for, for for sure. I mean, we have, you know, if we are trying to go any anywhere f faster than very slow with that shave, um, we are channeling beer through, and you know, the, we're not getting the results that we need, which is getting yeast and hops out of that out of that tank. Are there specific hops that create uh, or that that demand um, different treatment? through that that dry hop process you know you mentioned new zealand hops being something that you pay extra special care on you know or you know but and we all know that different hops behave in different kinds of ways especially in that environment are there are there some uh, that become uh, that require uh special treatment through that or maybe longer times uh in, in order to to get where you need them to go or or any other kind of you know temperature adjustments to truly achieve uh you know the kind of results you're looking for kelsey what do you think about that um, well, I mean, we tend to keep the temperature up, so, uh, <clears throat> we're usually dry hopping, uh, at 70 degrees, um, 
And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a temperature ramp at the end of fermentation. We ferment uh, Chico at 67 and then we let it go to 70 um, when it gets around 25% left in attenuation. Uh, and uh, we, we keep it there um, through the duration of the dry hop, um, you know, uh, and that includes uh, recirculation step. We, you know, I mentioned last time we, we recirc dry hops, um, but the, usually the timing for us depends on if it's like certain varieties that have, you know, really high polyphenol content, like Australian varieties, we try and keep the contact time on those really short. Uh, you know, similar to what you were talking about, Evan, with, with New Zealand varieties, you like, you like those to be really short too. And I think you get much brighter fruit character and not all that grassiness that tends to, you know, just creep out the longer and longer that those hops are in contact. So yeah, we, like, if we're using Galaxy or, you know, a big charge of Nelson, you know, I, I always try and put those in like in the last step and, uh, you know, and try and get that beer crashed out pretty soon after that. Um, you know, given that it tastes clean, you know, we, we don't have any of these off characteristics that, um, you know, that have been discussed. Um, you know, one thing that we do that, um, I, I think you do this too, Evan, um, we, while we dry hop, we, unless we're doing the recirculation step, we actually leave the, the blow off intact, um, the whole yeah. time. Like there, Absolutely. there's no head, head space pressure, um, you know, until we're ready to crash. Um, yeah. I mean, we just do the, uh, and I think I explained this on the last po podcast, but it's like we dry hop, uh, at the end of the day. And then the very next morning we put 15 pounds of pressure on the tank to push those hops Pushing down. In. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then we go right back to relieving the pressure and, um, and then allowing that fermentation to hopefully happen, uh, which, uh, I want to predict someday. One, one thing here on this topic though, that is, um, kind of out of our hands when it comes to hop variety is, and this is more, uh, broker processor dependent is pellet density. And yeah. it really doesn't matter what variety it is. If, if the hop is too dense, it's just going to sink to the bottom, which, um, I've seen it before where we've dumped the cone and there's been pellets still in, intact. Um, but the, the other side of it is that if the, uh, pellets aren't dense enough, then they're just floating. And it's like the early, uh, Luplin powder, what became Yakima oh, Chief yeah. Pile. You, you, unless you mix the tank, it just sat on the top. And that was one of the great improvements that, uh, that YCH made on, on cryo. And, um, and so they, they, they have a way of you know, measuring it and hop companies are paying attention to this, at least in America. Um, but it's, and it's actually something I'd love to see the hop quality group do some work on in the future is pellet density to, to know that, you know, whatever the density is of a pound of pellets, how, however, you know, you, you'd look at that, that it's being pelleted for dry hopping, not necessarily for anything else, since that's where we're mostly using the volume of hops these days. And we know that they would get broken apart in the kettle through the heating process. Right. Love that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the kind of, you know, creative process of uh, building hop blends. I think that that kind of, you know, 
that was something we we spent so much on the pragmatic side of things in the in the last episode and didn't necessarily talk as much about the the art artful side let's talk about your creative process for think how you think about as you're rubbing and, and smelling hops um how you build some of these memories how you create a you know a, a shorthand for what these things are you know mentally and then you know how you also build some learning around how these things might interact with each other um, and then how you go back in and, and test these mental hypotheses that you build in your head for these kinds of hot processes to see if the results bear out what you thought they would bear out Kelsey, you get this one first because I think you have the best hop aroma of the three of our uh, beers as I've been drinking them as of late. Well, <laughs> that's that's really awesome to hear. Thank you. Um, that's that's wonderful, Vinny. Um, you know, I I feel I felt like when I answered this question the last time, I kind of meandered a lot and had a lot of you know sort of you know ideas about you know how I come up with you know hop combos, but it, it really is a lot of you know theory and you know we we have the mental notes from the rub like we use these hops in practice and we know that they do these certain things and then we taste someone else's beer that you know uses hops that we haven't you know played around with yet and we you know discover that there's new varieties that are really cool to work with um you know like uh HPC 586 has been one that, oh. that keeps coming back. It's such a, you know, it, it's one of those great hops that can really play all by itself in a nice way, but it also is complemented, you know, by other things. And, and it can be a great hop in a hazy IPA. It can also be a great hop in a West Coast IPA. Um, you know, and then we can pair it up with, you know, things like Citra and it works really well. Or we can pair it with Mosaic and it works really well because the, the fruit characteristics from those hops are just very harmonious. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, really it's, you know, get inspired by trying someone else's, you know, beer and then, you know, just trying things on our own. And, you know, like I mentioned, we're able to experiment a lot because we don't have to make the same, you know, same set of beers over and over again. And, uh, we can just create a new brand, brew it once and, you know, think, thinking about how those things work together and then taste it. And, you know, the more you go through that process, the better you get at predicting, you know, how it's going to come out. Um, just because that's, that's how it works. I mean, it's just that, that iterative going through it over and over again. Um, and I, I think that's super cool. Like when you can get into a place where, where you can start really thinking about the outcome and you get, closer you know it's it's just it only comes with experience um but it's yeah it's definitely you know how that's that's how we do it i mean i, I don't know that there's a lot more to it than that then we'll kick out a question here uh not on the creative side but on the uh, stability side this is another one from phil so if we're pushing hop aroma what do you guys do to max hop aroma in your beers are there any particular high performing hop varietals that you prefer or processes that you use to max out uh, or protect aroma shelf life? Thanks. And the, the easiest answer I think here is dissolved oxygen levels in finished beer. Yeah, that, you know, I think that that is the, that is the secret, you know, the secret component to this entire thing is minimizing that as much as you can. And so it's like, you will, as, as hard as you can work to overthink every aspect of your process in order to get that number as low as possible, throw out whatever 
industry-wide number is considered to be the industry standard. Like that's, uh, that's garbage. Just continue to get that number as low as humanly possible and you will see the aromatics in your beer last. Uh, one funny thing to note on this is as we've gone down this tunnel is there was, there were aromatics that we didn't want to keep that were outlasting the better we got it. We got with this. And so we had to get better at our fermentation profile as well, because sulfur dioxide, as an example, is one of the first things to get thrown out of the beer whenever you have an, uh, a little bit more oxygen in that, uh, in that beer. And so I think that that is hands down, like the number one thing that I would throw out there. And then from there, it's, you know, it's going to be variety specific. We've all seen the survivables diagram from YCH, uh, or chart. I don't know. I always forget what, it, what's a chart and what's a diagram and what's a what, but, uh, forgive me there. Small brain. But anyway, I, I think that it's in, I think it's important to look at information out there like for, that. For those that can't see, it's actually a poster on the wall behind Evan in the frame oh. right now. <laughs> it actually is. It is. It's right there. And so, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> like for me, like you see that Centennial is the, the, the largest on this scale or, you know, on this chart. Right. And I mean, I think that hop is garbage. I think that like that, uh, what is staying in your beer isn't something that I want in my beer. Uh, wonderful that you Centennial has more survivables, has more survivables of shit. But like I, um, I just like it's like one of those hops I pick out in somebody's beer, and I'm like, you Centennial on this, didn't you? And they're like, and then it's always a very proud like, yeah, yeah, I did. And I'm like, okay, and I just keep my mouth shut because it's my dumb opinion. It doesn't matter that they like it and I don't like it. I, I'm, I'm not going to given unsolicited advice in that in that area but i um yeah that's that's my rant you, you know some in in kind of something i was going to talk about i don't know how do you follow <laughs> that up good god um kind of relating to the last two questions was you know keeping hop flavor and and the do was was a great um it's a, it's a great thing to work on and obviously keep your beer cold but you know a lot of a lot of times brewers will um, dance around, they go to hop selection and they want a, you know, a mixed bag every year, put on the table blind. We're just the opposite. I want, I want as much as I can. I want the same farm. Um, yes. I, op I often want the same lots. Um, we're lucky enough to be able to buy some of our, uh, uh, some of our hops direct. And, um, there's one of our main hops that we buy that oftentimes, uh, Granted, the farm will put this on the table in front of us, but Natalie and I will select the same field every year as as well. And and I think there's something to that, though, at least going to the same farm and sometimes even the same fields, because there's a consistency there from, from year to year in the soil and the climate and all that. And so I, I think that does aid in, in in some consistency to have that that hot flavor that becomes your signature of whoever, you know, whatever you are, whatever brewery you are. So the winemakers um, figured that out with, uh, you know, with specific vineyards and these specific, you know, acre plots of, within these vineyards and they figured out how to brand those, you know, wines 
you know, some of those plots that are producing the very best vines yeah. and grapes mm-hmm. every year. Um, you know, hops are a similar, you know, they're not that far off uh, as a crop in that way. Yeah. yeah and, you know, and, and then you, you take that and when you are start starting to mess around with other, um, you know, brokers, growers, lots, whatever, um, you know, doing a single hop brew and whether you do it on the full scale, which we do a lot of um, on our pilot brewery or do it on the bench uh, in your lab, you know, in one liter bottles, dry hopping different hops. That's another great way to get to know hop varieties. And if, and if you're a, a home brewer listening to this, it's an awesome club, uh, you know, project to, to have different people brewing, you know, single hop with different hops, same base recipe as much as they can be, and then share all that information. Then you really start learning. We've been making hop to it since 19... 19- 97, 98, and uh, a hop uh, salesman, the original hop salesman for Yakima Chief, Gerard Lemons, would bring me these hops. And that's when I first came across uh, YCR 014, which became Simcoe, and uh, what became Warrior, and Atanum, and all those early hops that um, that eventually led to Mosaic and Citron and so on and so forth. But such a great way to learn about, you know, what a hop can give. I totally agree. I mean, that's like the, you know, the last question, Jamie, that you were mentioning about like kind of building hop aroma. We do this just about every year as much as we can with especially a brand new variety where we are making a single hopped IPA on our, on our normal size system. And we are seeing how that, how that works for us. Uh, how do those hops, how do those hops age? What does, that it, what does that profile come out to be? Because, like I, I think mentioned in this on the last podcast, like it's so deceiving, and it's hard to read what the rub of a hop does versus what it's going to do in the beer itself. <laughs> so once you get that figured out, I think you're in a better spot. Sure, sure. Um, I should also mention, since we're talking about it, that uh, if you're an all-access subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing, uh, we actually have a fantastic video class on dissolved oxygen and oxygen throughout the brewing process. Oh, by um, Benny. <laughs> yeah. That was, I really enjoyed my that favorite, one. <laughs> my, my favorite part of that, Jamie, was when uh, you and Taylor and I were doing the bottles. Yes. And, and we were like doing different purges. And then we got to the one where we didn't uh, purge the bottle at all, but we made sure we kept on foam and we were in the back, like high fiving each other. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was it's, a great thing to watch uh, or to, to watch and see or watch and listen to as a brewer and beer fan, where like I hadn't had a, I didn't have a C box at that point. And to, yeah, to be able to just get this easy, I don't know information get this information easily from uh somebody so uh, validated it was really cool it was eye-opening stuff now you know throughout your brewing processes are there other ways you know whether it's hot side or even earlier in the cold side process that you all work to minimize or control oxygen through the process in order you know because we all know it's not just about 
you know, the oxygen, dissolved oxygen parameters of your canning line or your bottling line. Um, good oxygen control starts earlier in the process than that. Um, are there some specific, uh, you know, steps that you guys have found through that brewing process that uh, have paid off in dividends, you know, in lower dissolved oxygen uh, than going into the system, which then, you know, of course, the lower you start when you start the packaging run, the, the lower it's going to be in the package itself. We're, we're using deaerated water, and I know everybody doesn't have that. And at the surface, any professional brewer that doesn't have it, that's listening, that's is saying, oh, how can I, you know, I can't afford that. But you actually can if you just have an extra, yeah, you can make it batches, a single batch at a time. If, if you have an extra bright tank sitting around, you can, you know, pull, boil some water in your kettle or hot liquor tank, move it over there, and then bubble CO2 <clears> through it. And, um, that's a great way to start. Um, and then you just use that to flush all your lines instead of using CO2. Um, that's, that's what we do. And, uh, it's a, it's a great way to clear lines because if you have any jogs in the line, you know, up, down, whatever, this is packing the line completely. It's, it's also getting all the, let's assume everyone's sanitizing with parasitic acid with PAA. It's also flushing all of the PAA out of the line. If a little bit of deaerated water gets into your tank, um, no big deal. If a little bit of parasitic acid gets into your tank, you've oxidized that oh, you're entire done. Yep. tank. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I think there are ways. I mean, if I was to tell my, my, my brewer self from 20 plus years ago, what would I do different? Um, you know, I'd have had a DO meter, but I would also have been making batches of, of, um, of, of deaerated water as well like that. And, and it's not to say that you can't make great beer without it, but it does help. It's also an economic thing too, because then when you're flushing the first bit of beer through your line and you know that there is some contact with parasitic acid and you're letting that go down the drain, that, that is profits going down the drain. Yep. Kelsey, any, uh, any, uh, lower oxygen techniques that you guys use in order to, you know, maintain that hop aroma and flavor, uh, in finished beer? Um, I mean, it, it all definitely to me, it comes back to the to the do issue. Um, really, as far as longevity goes, I, I I'd like to think that um, we've had some. Uh, I feel like our process with with uh, incognito also um, may have some residual benefit. I I think that 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 stuff tends to uh, keep those beers lasting longer. On some of the hazy IPAs where we were trialing it out at very high dosing rate, like around two kilograms for 15 barrel batch. Um, those beers required substantially less um, dry hopping and the aroma um, and flavor like right out of the gate was incredibly punchy and those cans held up really well. Now, That's rad. because the dry hopping um, with the actual pellets was reduced, visually those beers didn't tend to work well in the long run because the haze stability was just not there. Um, but as far as being just a delicious beer, um, that had a huge hot punch that, that held on, um, I was really happy with those results, but obviously, um, two kilograms of, uh, <laughs> incognito is, uh, is pretty costly for, uh, for a 15 barrel batch. <clears throat> so there, there was that, you know, kind of downside too. Can I go off? subject here a little bit i mean just it's related to the flowable hops that was a question yes. i had after our last uh time together are you are you pulling the 
let's say you're using two kilos of whatever variety flowable hop, are you now reducing your whirlpool uh, hop charge or are you reducing the, the dry hop charge to compensate for this, um, you know, for the flowable hops? Where, where is it coming from in the formulation of the, the recipe? I think it's the more, more, more for this, Kelsey, right? Yeah. Like, I don't, like, I, I was about to say, you don't, you're not going to reduce anything. Like, like more of an, ex- like any way that we can continue to just put more hops in it and it tastes really good is like, I think the, the overall, ah, I'm cutting you off. Go ahead, Kelsey. Sorry. No, you, you, you hit that one on the head, but I will say, um, uh, sort of mostly dead, uh, which, uh, the recipe for that has been in craft beer and brewing. Um, that beer was kind of our, we were starting to really hone in on some new ways to brew West Coast IPA. And this was very early, like 2020, late 2019. You know, we were really um, diving into this uh, flowable, you know, hop product as a dry hop instead of a Whirlpool edition. And that beer was, you know, we took a very sort of hazy IPA approach to how we were hopping it in that it got, no hops in the kettle aside from its bittering addition. And then everything was loaded in as a dry hop, you know, whether it's uh, incognito, cryo, T90s. Um, but, you know, the, the total amount of, you know, solid hop matter in that beer was like, you know, 77 pounds and 15 barrels. Um, and, you know, on the, on the hot side, it was like four pounds. So, you know, our wort yield was you know, virtually, you know, a hundred percent minus the, the, just the protein true, you know, component. And then, uh, you know, we, we had considerable loss in the fermenter because that's just a lot of, you know, dry hop. Um, and at that point we weren't shaving our tanks, uh, with, uh, with the right tool. Um, we were using a, a much larger diameter hose and we were, we were definitely punching holes in the, you know, in our, our, uh, our troop in the fermenter and, you know, we weren't getting as good of yields, uh, as we are now, um, with some different equipment. Um, but you know, just to kind of circle back on that, uh, yeah, we, we took that approach for a while where we were kind of, you know, I had this sort of uh period of time where I was like, okay, well, let's not cook hops, you know, let's just, let's just put it all in, um, on the cold side. And I felt like those beers were really like, they had a very specific sort of hop character because there was no, you know, flavor contribution coming from hops that were boiled or, you know, in the, in the kettle itself. Um, and we've since gone back and, you know, have added more hops to the whirlpool, you know, and in some, some cases we are using, you know, a lot, you know, maybe a a pound and a half of hops per barrel in the whirlpool plus, you know, the flowable hop product and uh cryo and t90s so you know now we're using more hops than ever um and it really is to try and just super saturate it and just give it this explosion of aroma and flavor that you know is long lasting and uh yeah i'm 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 really happy with where we are with it right now there's the quality you know question and there's also the shelf life question that no hop side hot side hops impact longevity uh, of hops at all? I know that's uh, certainly something some folks have been talking about. That's a good question. And I think that, you know, we entered nothing but hoppy categories at GABF. 
And we all know that we're on the same playing field when we enter that competition. Those beers are in the package for a really long time. And, you know, when everybody has gotten through the sort of, you know, best case scenario of when those beers should be drank and the competition is not that, it's past it, um, to stand out at that point, I mean, I, you know, I have to believe that, um, these beers are holding on for longer for the reasons that they are just loaded up with hops. Um, yeah. So. Vinny, you've got some more uh, more hop questions, I know, in uh, in your yeah. bank there. Yeah, it was, and actually leads kind of what I one of the other questions I had for both of you, and what Kelsey, you were just talking about adding hops back to the whirlpool. What are what are both of your guys' thoughts on their contact time on the uh, on the whirlpool? Are you uh, doing an extended, you know, uh, contact, or is it just the amount of time it takes to spin the wort, let it settle, and pump it off and you yeah know, we talk about time and temperature for dry hopping but time and temperature in yeah. whirlpool yeah, know. you know is just and, as impactful yeah right? and and also are you doing a cool pool where maybe you're whether you know i know some breweries have you know a, a big tube and shell heat exchanger to cool it down others are using water which is what we do when we cool pool them curious what both you guys are doing on this yeah um most of the time we do a cool pool uh, and we try and do that at 170 degrees. We try and establish all of our isomerized alpha acids from our bittering addition, whether that's a 90 or a 60 first wort. Um, and, uh, you know, the point is that I want you, I want the bitterness to be a constant. And if I'm using certain varieties in the whirlpool that are, you know, higher alpha, I'm not trying to calculate out, um, for that step. And so I, I try to, to do it always at like 165 to 170. Um, and generally that's just long enough for us to do the, you know, the whirlpool and then the rest, you know, for us, that's like a 20 minute spin, a 20 minute rest, and then we're knocking out and our knockout typically takes about 45 minutes. So some amount of the wort has been in contact with those hops for, you know, quite a while over an hour. Um, but you know, it, at that place, I'm assuming we're only getting a few IBU pickup, you know, for that, that rate that we're at, but I don't, you know, I, I'm not sending the beers off to a lab to see, you know, what, uh, alpha we're getting from that, from that, uh, particular edition. So Evan, uh, so yeah, we do the, we do the cool pool the most, most of the time when it comes to hazy IPAs, um, or specifically dropping it down to like the 170 range. Um, we also do it on weird stuff like English bitter, um, where we have like the mash tun cleaned out and we're adding whole leaf hops to that. And we're knocking out onto these hops and then not dry hopping these beers. I'm drinking one right now, Uncle Dave's fave. And that beer's great. Anyway, do 4.3% like all day. Here, watch, watch me drink this. Mm. <laughs> so good. Anyway. Um, looks delicious and there's a nice bit of foam on top of that too yeah. Evan. uh this is so this is something called malt and it doesn't exist in an ipa for me but it exists in other beer styles and i fucking love it um <laughs> anyway malt highly underrated yeah, yeah. Ma- ma- malt's wonderful just you know time and place you know uh like other things so yeah cool pool for me is uh i mean 
for West Coast, we're dropping down to about 185, 190. You know, I still want some bitterness from that Whirlpool personally. We are also not calculating that Whirlpool edition because it's next to impossible at uh, our size to to really get an accurate count there. And so like it uh so I'm in the I'm in the same boat as Kelsey where I'm calculating out our IBU charge. Um and honestly we don't even calculate IBUs in at all. Uh we we continue to use different rates and different hops in order to get results that we think, you know, have the right mouthfeel, have the right bitterness and everything like that. And we just increase the number or decrease the number depending on like what it is. And I know that that sounds kind of lame, but I feel like calculations can also do you wrong in that, on that side of things. And, and in the end, uh, it's back to the most important tool in the brewery, the, your palate where just tasting, tasting and smelling that beer and seeing how it hits is, is really like ends up being the most important for us at green cheek. How do you all do that? Uh, Vinny? You know, at our, at our Santa Rosa brewery, we have systems very much like, uh, Evan and Kelsey. So we do end up with, uh, very much like what Kelsey talked about. And we do a lot of cool pooling. Um, and we found that uh, on our older, um, more tired brew house in Santa Rosa, the cool pool also helps reduce some of the grainy notes that we've seen come out of that brewery. Um, basically yeah. because we're, we're finishing with a higher gravity on the last runnings and then we're diluting it down. And so, you know, until we can someday replace that old brew house, um, that's been helping us from a flavor standpoint, but in, in Windsor at our bigger production brewery, we've got to hop back and there we very deliberately, uh, uh, have very short contact time with the wart, whether it's, uh, you know, been cool pooled or not. And we're going over the whole cones and then it's coming out of that hot back and immediately being uh, cooled down through the wart cooler with the idea being that we are locking in those super volatile hop, uh, aromas, those oils that normally volatize off or some of them will, will volatize off in the whirlpool. So, uh, that's, that's sort of our, our theory there. The flip side is that we're probably leaving a lot of flavor behind in those, those hops as well. But, um, but that's, but I, but I stand behind that because I thought our beers improved immensely when we moved most of our production to, um, to Windsor, to the new brewery. So we probably have time for two more questions. You know, Vinny, if you've got uh, some other lingering ones that uh, that hit you late night uh, I, after the last uh, I do. I do. <laughs> and it, I do have one that I, I have highlighted on my other screen here. I'm curious what you guys um, think, or even if this becomes a part of your recipe formulation. And it has to do with concentrated, you know, hot pellets, such as cryo or CGX. Yeah. Um, are you guys blending uh t90s in with concentrated hop pellets or like i've heard a lot of brewers say that oh you don't get the depth of flavor um yeah. if you're not using some t90s and um i was curious what you guys uh, think because both of you have like super amazing hop aroma in your beer you know and all the ipas i drink from you guys and um to me there's there's uh there's just something uh really full about 
your beers, but I don't know the what what you guys do. I mean, for for us, I mean, I'm new to the cryo train where I couldn't tell you how many years ago they came out with cryo. Eight years ago, ten years ago, I don't. Uh, but the first, I know the 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 powder was obviously the first one, and I remember that. I remember trying to dry hop with that stuff, and it just having positive pressure on the tank, and it just going out at the moment you're dry hopping uh, all into your face. Anyway, uh, it was like the Big Lebowski moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was that nail on the head right there. So, yeah, I I didn't like the the first runs of cryo hops that we had access to uh, at the, at a previous brewery that I worked at before I opened up green cheek and I swore them off pretty quickly where I just had this sneaking suspicion that they were trying to get rid of the worst <laughs> lots that they could. And, and, you know, obviously that's just uh, a really dumb theory, but anyway, and of course, uh, now as things have developed, especially if you order large enough quantities, they will process your own selections. There's yeah, a, it's mean, a whole different world around this now. Of course. Yeah, and ours, that's what I was about yeah. to say mm -hmm. too: is yeah. that this game has changed so much to where within the last only two years, I have started to use cryo um, again, and holy cow! I mean, they have they've really honed in that process so well to where I think it's hard to say that you know, that you can be a, a, a modern IP producer now and not use these products where I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I know Kelsey gave a, a, a quick little head nod of, um, agreement whenever you said that blend of T90 with cryo. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we recently did a 100% cryo beer uh, recently, maybe four months ago. And it just, it, 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 it lacked the, the structure that we are that, you know, on, on the palate, like one thing I think is that that dry hop bitterness and that tannin that like, I think is, uh, whenever you do it in, the, in a pleasant way, it, it would absolutely lacked that for me when it was 100% cryo, but then also it, it was so intense, but then empty at the same time, which is such a, I know that's not, uh, the, the most complete sentence, but I, I, I have a hard time describing exactly what that is more than the No, I can see what you're saying, Evan. It's like listening to music where like the volume level, the, you know, it, it's, it's compressed so much to pump that yeah. volume, but it lacks those like really nice juicy mid tones and like uh -huh. mid bass notes to kind oh, of yeah. fill it the out. MP3 like it's not a full spectrum. It's just this really intense volume, right? Yeah. Evan, Evan, if I don't ask, I know Jamie well because I've listened to him interview people enough. What what's the percentage break between T ninety and and the concentrated palette? Well, you gotta, yeah, like Jamie's Jamie's so good at this, by the way. Like, uh, which is something that I, as a listener, I'm in love with. Is that he doesn't stop asking the 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 questions that are juicy, that the the real mean potatoes. And um, I personally, I'm in a spot where when we use cryo, and we are really going for it, like if we're doing a double dry hopped beer, the what we'll do is just keep the the dry hop load the same as far as an amount, but then we will do 50 50 uh, cryo and T90. 
And to me, those are some of my favorite DDH beers that we do. Uh, all those hops are going in at the same time. Un, un, de, de, uh, hold on, that's such a, I, I can't even complete that sentence actually because it depends on the beer. Like, you know, we we make so many different beers and we're constantly experimenting with what that is. And um, I think we briefed on this a moment, but I think the the more cannabis-like a hop is, uh, we're getting it in earlier and uh, in the presence of yeast and the brighter the and more citrusy the hop character is we're getting it in a little bit later um to try to like hold on to the zesty um really wonderful like kind of fruit notes and so you build the base and then you just like get a little sprinkle on top you know and bada bing bada boom kelsey how about you we're usually in the you know 15 to 30 percent uh as cryo um and i'd say that that's that's pretty standard there have been cases where we've gone, you know, as much as like 65%. Um, but usually we, I think maybe only once have we ever done all cryo. And I, I kind of have the same sentiment as, uh, as Evan, where it just, it lacks familiarity. It's like, there's just a piece that's not there, you know, that you're used yeah. to, used to drinking, dry hop beer and it's just it's not the same it's punchy it's intense but yeah it's 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 a little 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 out out of the norm yeah we it's like about, neil young you know, talking about mp3s you know he you know you get it like <laughs> like he wants the vinyl action you know you're, not, you're giving him the whole piece <clears throat> that's As a good analogy added- as an avid vinyl listener, uh, I understand. I also I also disagree with Neil because I think that uh, you know there's a way. To, anyway, we'll, we won't get into that. I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking about cheese next. Um, what? I thought it was coming up. I would never do that. I would never. Qu- question for you guys. You know, we talk about cryo, but obviously, you know, there's Lupamax, there's yep. CGX, there's you know similar processes from other you know it's almost like kleenex it's just facial tissue but you know we we've like drilled into the brand and i mean kudos to to yakima chief for you know being such a first mover and now creating that as a brand you know do any of these work in different ways for you or or do you use them you know interchangeably uh you know across all these brands yeah that's why i call that's why i always say concentrated hop pellets to be so political yeah so yeah, political. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm doing a presentation at, at cbc with uh, a couple friends and um it's on advanced top product and we need to be very you know politically correct but um and, and it should also be remembered that you know this all started with a t45 palette that's been around since like the 60s or something some some historian out there can correct me but you know, a T45 pellet is a concentrated hop pellet that's been made in its format by mechanical refrigeration to cool it down instead of cryogenic. So they have been around. And back back at when our brewery was at Corbell, um, we were using T45 as dry hopping. It was something that Gerard Lemons suggested to me, uh, the Yakima chief rep who I mentioned earlier. and um, And I didn't know really why i was doing it but in hindsight um it makes total sense it's just now they've really locked in those aromatic compounds um no matter who it is so I, what, was, I what, was, for... what was the what was the question 
Well, I was gonna say yeah. Jamie in regards. Evan gave to like, his thumbs up. That means he's yeah. got some. Right. He's got something to say about this. Well, you know when it cut. Yeah, like I, uh, I've been going through different ways to use these like concentrated hop products. So you said Vinny, by the way, uh, or, or pellets, however you want to say it. Yeah, I mean, um, for Cryo or CGX, uh, we we just started experimenting with using those for bittering, um, and in order to like have this really clean high alpha uh bitterness you know we're talking about like a 25 percent alpha you know with uh with something and so being able to use half the mount maybe throw in a, a couple sprinkles throughout your boil to uh create a little structure you know uh you can end up with less uh less you know less you have less storage in your in your uh your hop cooler, you have um, less vegetative matter in your beer, and so um, I'm I'm really excited about this. Currently, uh, we have one, we have two beers in the tank so far. They're they're unfinished at the moment, but they're showing a lot of promise uh, on this front. You should you should come to my presentation at CBC with Patty Aaron and a couple others. It's uh, I believe on uh, the. Monday at two thirty, but it's this is exactly what it's about. But um, have you thought about using hop extract? That's a part of what we're going to talk about. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, we we've been yeah. using it for years, and I yeah. think you were the first person to, to yeah. turn me on to that. But because um, like be anywhere else, Vin, Vinny, I'm going to be front row, <laughs> sitting right there. Uh, Kelsey, I'll be sitting next to you. To yeah, okay, yeah, we're we're going to be sitting next yeah. to each other. I'll yeah. be there too. I, I might as well. You know. Okay, that sounds like a great us. party. I can't wait. Uh, what beers should we bring? I um, well, because <laughs> well, well, there, because there, you you're getting up to like 60 percent alpha acid. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 for a a little for a small brewery, still a hundred and fifty gram tin. You can probably make that work for home brewers. I know they have those little shots of the little vials of, mm-hmm. of extract, and um, and it really does leave like such a clean flavor, like like you were saying. I like, yeah. I mean, I know personally, like I really like those hop extracts for bittering. But uh, similar to what we were talking about with the same type of thing of dry hopping with one hundred percent concentrated pellet, like you're still missing something. And so you need to be very thoughtful as a brewer on how to structure the beer from there in order to create the hop tannin and bitterness that carries that beer through. Otherwise it's going to be a single note of bitterness. And then you're going to be left with, without the linger that you're hoping for, or that mid palate, you know, kind of bitterness. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just an, it's another tool in the toolbox, I guess, is, uh, you know, but you just need to be thoughtful about the way you're using it. I, I agree with that, especially, um, like my favorite, uh, West coast bittering hop, if I'm going for a more classic, you know, sort of, uh, expression of West coast is first word Chinook, um, mm. in the T90. I, I love the sort of bitey, grippy you know, yes. bitterness that's a little bit ragged edged that you get off of that. And I don't find, I mean, I'm sure I could use other, uh, hops that are a little bit more old school in nature, but that one in particular is just so specific and it's in its bittering quality and character. Um, but if I want something that's a much more cleaner expression, it's usually been warrior T90, but, um, 
to to that point, I could probably easily just sub in a warrior extract or or something along those lines and get like way way cleaner. Um, you know, with that bitterness. Vinny, we're about uh, 15 minutes longer than I expected to go on this already. <laughs> yeah. But if you've got any more hop questions, we should throw them out now. Uh, I, uh, it's uh, it's speak now or forever <laughs> regret what we didn't get to talk about. No, here you know episode. what I, I, uh, I think I got. I think we covered uh, everything that um, that I had was thinking about after the last uh, the last time. I, I think that the maybe what I'll just leave it on, and it's it relates to a question that uh, I asked Matt Brennelson when you were interviewing him with his Q and A and something that I'm really curious about and don't, don't know the answer to, and I'm don't, don't know that these guys do either, but just to put it out there for everyone that's listening is, is cell count and dry hopping and like, what's the right yeah. cell count when you dry hop? I know there's mid fermentation dry hop, but you know, what, what is it when you get to, you're done with fermentation and your hops are in there you know is it is it better to wait a few more days to let more hops drop out and then you make that dry hop you know there's still going to be some lots of yeast in there or is it do it right away like i said i don't know the answer to that but it to me it's a really interesting question that um would be cool for some master student that or maybe it's already been done i don't know to to do some work on it and uh figure it out I mean, yeah, it's not the right answer. Maybe there is not a right or wrong answer, but there's at least some guidance there that, that we can follow. I would love to have brewers working 24 hours around the clock so that I could actually like dial in that to a level that we, that I could speak on, but instead, you know, we're a small operation and there's only yeah. so much we can do. And so, um, I hope to someday though be at a level to where I can answer that question. And I know there are breweries that dry hop based on cell count, um, but I don't know what the reasoning is. And you know, probably was just trial and error to figure it out. But it's a really interesting uh, thought. I love it. Yeah. If you're listening out there and you base dry hopping on your cell count, uh, drop me an email, jbogner at beerandbrewing.com. <laughs> Let me go. know. Now, maybe we should start this up as a separate conversation and we'll get Vinny back on the podcast uh, <laughs> to drill down on that because, of course, I mean, you know, the brewing world wants to know. I mean, if it's, if it's a question hanging out there, it's hanging it. out there. Um, I, I feel like we need to, you know, somehow pull out and, and leave this on some broader note. In terms of excellence, in terms of the things that make the most difference of quality in these hoppy beers... You know, as you've had three months to reflect on it since the last panel, um, you know, suggestions for brewers out there that are trying to pursue excellence. What's, uh, you know, what are the, the primary things that you think they should focus on? And let's start with you, Kelsey. Um, it really just comes down to, you know, having a really clean process that uh, mitigates exposure to oxygen at every step. And, you know, if your ingredients are sound, you're, you know, everything's in good quality, you know, you're dry hopping with fresh bags, you know, you're not letting your hops get stale, you know, anything that, you know, downstream can cause uh, your ingredient quality to degrade, you know, if you're, you're not milling it on Friday and brewing on Monday, you know, things like that. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, just ultimately thinking about 
uh, freshness and, and oxygen exposure the whole way through. Um, you know, make sure that like, you know, you clean with PAA if, if you're not working with, uh, you know, um, de-aerated water, uh, you know, and your tank is, uh, been sanitized, you know, try and try and remove as much of that PAA from that tank as possible, you know, purge the, purge it out with, with, uh, CO2, uh, maybe give it an HLT rinse. Um, you know, lots of, lots of different, uh, ways that you can do that. And then, you know, when you open that tank to put in the dry hops, make sure that you've got, you know, positive pressure, you know, make sure that you, you've, uh, you're not letting anything get in, you know, and, and then when you go to package that beer, you know, whether it's into a keg or, you know, into the cans or bottles or whatever you're doing, you know, it's just, you've got to make sure that you keep the oxygen exposure at a minimum. Um, and I think that's, that is, that is like the best thing you can do. Evan, what are your uh, keys to excellence? Uh, I, I think for me, it has, it comes down to, I think so many brewers and I'm guilty of this myself at certain parts of my career, you know, I think I end up with just too much ego, uh, over what they're doing, how they're doing it. They don't know why they're doing it, uh, a lot of times, but they're proud to do it. And long story short, I think that it, you kind of need to remove your ego as much as you can. And you need to look at your beer as unbiasedly as possible. And you need to assess it as as if it was almost somebody you hate where you are, you're drinking this beer and all you can think about is what shit can I talk about this beer? Like, and hopefully you get to a spot to where there's no shit to talk because that's what everyone else out there is going to do, especially like um, if you, uh, you know, uh, get get yourself any accolades or whatever else uh you know i think that like uh the first thing that people want to be able to do brewers is to be able to talk some shit on vinny's beer because he's on the top of mount rushmore and and be able to like be like oh i made a better beer than vinny and and you know that uh, um instead i think uh yeah just continuing to assess your beer as if somebody else made it is kind of like i don't know the best advice that i could throw out there I like that. Yes, it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I I would say on a broad, because uh, you guys both covered really great uh, points there. Um, but on a really broad, from a broad level, um, taking like really really good notes it is yeah. is like such an important part of of brewing, and uh, and when you're making just even the most minor uh recipe tweaks i mean you should you should see some of my brew logs from the pilot brewery they're a, they're chicken scratch and and everyone here at the brewery knows that my handwriting looks like chicken scratch but just writing all those little tiny details down so you can go back and reference it next time to to improve it because once once you're making really good beer getting to the next level is is really hard because you're making such minor steps um and then on a, on a real like actual fundamental level and talked about it earlier um and specifically it's all beers but you know relating it to ipa because it makes such a big deal with the hop aroma and and hop creep is the yeast health i'll go back to that but yeast health is so important and you know i wish it's we've always 
paid attention to our yeast, but not like we do now. We, we pay so much more attention to yeast health and it's just paid in dividends for beer quality and hop aroma and that sort of thing. Well, that is a great place to bring this episode to a close. I thought it was going to be shorter than the last episode it is, but uh, but only by like five minutes. Uh, <laughs> here we are. It's been. I thought we went for like three hours on the last one. We, we only... you know, I actually did edit. I edited probably twenty minutes out of that one. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe said, one yeah. day, maybe one day we'll uh, we'll bring the outtakes from that one out there into into the public. But I, you know, I think for. For the time being, we'll just let, let everyone believe the illusion that we're this good at it, and mm. that all together mm. you know, our Voltron powers, um, <laughs> you know, you know, together are stronger than anyone individually. Um, and and Vinny, anytime you want to host the podcast without me, just just let me know. I'm happy, <laughs> happy to hand over question question asking to you okay. uh, because you are a pro at this. Um, G and D Chillers to set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24 seven service and support. RAR Dextrin Malt is here to improve your beer with better body, improved haze formation, and stable foam. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. Join the AccuBrew community and experience 24-7 peace of mind. ProBrew's rotary can fillers reduce waste and produce higher quality packaged beer. Try Indie Hop's unique varieties to modernize, brighten, and diversify your beers. Twin Monkeys offers customizable packaging solutions for every craft. Discover SoftBrew BR8, the first to dry Brett by Fermentus, and ABS Commercial is your full-service brewery outfitter. Once again, if you're heading to CBC in Nashville, Join us and our friends at Country Mall Group on Tuesday night at Yeehaw Brewing for the one-stop party with music by Goodbye June. If you are uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you are not yet a subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing, or you are not yet an all-access subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing, what are you waiting for? Multiple two classes from Vinny, uh, you know, in that video format on how to brew better beer, both in terms of dealing with hop creep and with uh, reducing oxygen throughout your brewing process. And of course, uh, great recipes, uh, both from Kelsey and from Evan and, uh, you know, and others. Of course, I think we've got some Russian River recipes in there too. Only there for subscribers. We appreciate your support. It is your support that allows us to bring these conversations and, uh, you know, this magazine out to you um, because here we are in 2023 and we're still making print media yes <laughs> it's an amazing thing thank you all for supporting uh this thing that i have loved for so much of my life and uh, love to continue to be able to do for you oh, that's um, so sweet. if people want to learn more about uh, north park kelsey uh, where do they find you guys uh check us out on our website uh you can either go to northpark.beer or northparkbeerco.com um instagram at northparkbeerco facebook at northparkbeerco um yeah and if you're in that southern california area I, i'm going down to, to homebrew con i know we've talked about it a little bit but uh, we should probably oh, yeah. you know schedule some sort of meetup or do something or get together for some beers absolutely and, uh, are you guys going to that i was gonna i was gonna go yeah. to that oh heck yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I mean, I'm, I'm going down there <laughs> J oh, Joe Stang, our managing editor, is going. You know, we're gonna. Oh man, I think uh, Kelsey and I were talking about pouring at that thing. Are you, Vinny? Are you pouring? I'm, I won't be there. No, not this time. Oh man, yeah, bummer. Yeah, that should be fun. Anyway, stay posted. We should oh, do something. We should. We'll just do some fun for HomebrewCon just because we're gonna be there, right? <laughs> Evan, yeah. if, Evan, if people want to learn more about Green Cheek, where do they find you guys? Uh, GreenCheekBeer.com, or uh, yeah, we have three locations: Orange, Costa Mesa, and Sunset Beach. 
Um, you got to drink it from the source. It's the only way to do it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Vinny, if, uh, if people want to learn more. Uh, RussianRiverBrewing.com. Uh, Facebook is uh, at Russian River Brewing, And then Instagram is at Russian River Brewing Official. Because at some point, I think someone else had one going before we were <laughs> cool enough to have Instagram. So. Looking forward to seeing you, all of you guys at CBC. And then, uh, you know, shortly after that, we've got our brewers retreat out at Russian River and uh, in Santa Rosa and Windsor, which is going to be a beautiful and amazing time. And then, of course, like shortly after that, it's the Firestone Walker Invitational. Wait. And then I'm back in California for a third time in like five weeks for Homebrew Con. Just going to be nonstop. It's going to be such a good time. Looking forward to uh, seeing all of you all in various ways and permutations uh, throughout yeah. the next couple of months. Thanks for joining me for episode 300. 300. Yeah. Congratulations again. Yes. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats, Jamie. That's incredible. Incredible what you've built. Awesome. Appreciate, appreciate, uh, you know, everything that you guys have done to help contribute to that. And it's, uh, it's been pretty extensive. Uh, cheers. We'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers. Bye, Jamie. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Try Old Orchard's flavored ju craft juice concentrates in your... Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrates. <laughs> did you drink that younger? He did. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, dude, crushed it. <laughs> and now I'm on Kelsey's oh, trip. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's Friday, dude. I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get... It is Friday. I'm going to get this right. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. <laughs> Boom. Nailed it. 